talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me Hey y'all, welcome back to another Worst Wing. Um, As a preface to this episode, I'd like to make a note that this was definitely not one of my bests. I don't know if you can tell from listening to my voice. Um, I've just been scourged with a cold for the last 72 hours and during our recording, I was hopped up on so much NyQuil as to make your head spin. So my contributions are not particularly um, in keeping this time around. We also launched a little thing at the end of this episode because there really wasn't much to talk about. So, spoiler alert, we're going to talk about Bernie at the end of the episode. Um, If you don't want to listen, you don't have to. But, you know, it's something we feel passionate about and is important in our lives. And we're going to start trying to do more kind of like little digressions that are related but not uh, intrinsically tied to the West Wing. So, enjoy this week's episode and drop us a line if you have any feedback. Thanks. exciting episode of more like the worst wing our podcast where me dave and me Stu, guide you through a leftist modern look at aaron sorkin's seminal 1990s slash 2000s hit network television show the west wing and today's episode is we're on what 10 11 now i believe who it's the 10. fuck cares about numbers <laughs> Uh, but the, the, only numbers fuck Steins care about <laughs> numbers. Right. We're here. We're here for about the issues, and today's issue is entitled "Noel uh, for Christmas" because this is, in fact, the, the Christmas, Christmas episode. episode. We're, we're coming uh, back it to is this. in your face yeah. about how Christmassy it is. Yeah. Um, and so we'll just start off with this episode. It has a very large framing device that we just jump right into with the cold open. Um, which is Josh is getting therapy uh, for uh, what appears to be uh, PTSD from the shooting, uh, essentially. He had, he had a meltdown uh, in the Oval Office uh, that was so bad that they, they basically work-ordered him to go to therapy. Um, not court-ordered, but kind of just like, hey, if you want to keep working here, you have to come see this therapist guy who is played by... Da, 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 da. Adam Arkin, yay! Yay! Uh, and he does a lovely job um, as Stanley, the therapist, yeah. uh, who is here to guide Josh through uh, the realization that he does, in fact, have post-traumatic stress disorder. It's sort of wild how many things Adam Arkin has been in, because I knew of him originally, I think, because of Northern Exposure, because my mom's a big fucking Canuck. Um, but I'm guessing, like, and I wrote this, like, he probably landed this role because he was in Chicago Hope for, like, seven seasons in the 90s. Is that a John Wells production? I do not know. Okay. Yeah, but that's probably the common link there, then. Um, but yes, he plays the, God, like, AVBA, or whatever the acronym was, like, Mm -hmm. the official, the whatever organization that does official therapy for people who went through trauma who work for the government. 
and he's there to help Josh, and Josh has a wound on his right hand um, that's been bandaged up, and immediately Stanley, the therapist, latches on to, hey, how'd you hurt your hand? Uh, and you get the sense that like this is going to be kind of the key thing that they keep coming back to, and in fact will be the thing they keep coming back to throughout this framing device that the uh, episode keeps getting coming back to yeah and it is like it comes out right away that josh is really just um hostile to this entire experience he has no he has no interest in going to therapy and is there because he's made to right yeah he has a very he has a very you know machismo view of like i don't need therapy i'm a dude you know like (laughs) Pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm, I'm fine. Fuck you if you think I need therapy. Yeah, and, I mean, kind of, we, this is 20 years ago, and yes. now it's actually quite, it's quite um, uh, heartening. It's quite, this is one, yes. one of the very few things that I think that people have made legitimate progress on is, openness to both the realization that they may be suffering from a certain mental illness, the acceptance that in in society people are generally suffering from mm-hmm. many mental illnesses at any given time, mm-hmm. and also that it is okay to not just like grin and bear it, and that right. part of getting better is actively seeking and participating in some sort of therapeutic, whether it's talk therapy, treatment. CBT, yeah. medication-based, whatever it is. But Jesus Christ, Josh is just insufferably smug and self-assured with his right. first interaction with this guy. And that is basically the only wrong thing to do in a talk therapy right. setting. Right, is to be just like instantly antagonistic towards the therapist. Like You, you have to be... You have to be open yeah. and honest and, and be willing to discuss things calmly and honestly and to let it help you if not calmly at least honestly and openly yeah you you know and to allow them to to help yes absolutely if you're just gonna get fucking mad at them like what's the point it's it's worse (laughs) yeah it's worse than you're gonna just make yourself worse like yeah uh, um but yeah so uh, that's a good point you make of yeah there is a greater idea of like hey you know if your body's sick you go to a doctor if your mind is sick you go to a therapist or a psychiatrist you know and it's more normalized now and not like only crazy people go there <laughs> yeah and so the um the this hostility kind of you had mentioned that um the therapist treats him i think what was it? you said he's like an advert like uh, a uh, you can witness. either do hostile witness or bad cop yeah i think either <laughs> either works and i think this is where or or batman interrogating uh uh bane about where the trigger man is <laughs> yeah. so they both have this sort of weird antagonistic stance but i think it's very right. much um stanley starts off a lot calmer i'll give stanley credit it, he takes a while to get to the point where he's heated yeah, and I think... Uh, but Josh starts off right away at, like, a nine. Yeah, and with Stanley, it's like, um, he comes around to the idea that he may have to go this way. And what I'm what I'm right. eventually going to land at here is that this is this scene and this interaction is trying to be Goodwill Hunting. Like, that movie yeah. had come out two years before this was filmed. It was the biggest fucking thing in the goddamn world. 
and mm-hmm. this like the interaction here i immediately close-ups like and i immediately you know, was just like, like this is fucking goodwill hunting this is robin williams yeah. and matt damon like getting to the point where they're angry but then also being having you know a denouement and and having transference happen and all this stuff so right that was my only real thought on kind of the course of this like this therapy yeah and it's shot very different from our typical west wing conversations it's a lot much more intense there's tense music going on as i mentioned like very intense close-ups of both the therapist and josh's faces um you know bradley whitford does some really good decent acting here with what he's given i think you know the material's not great but he makes the most of it absolutely yeah and um let me just check my other notes here um, yeah, so, okay, so then it comes out that they they start interrogating him about the events of the past few days, and this leads us into our various other subplots, and I'll just spoil right now that nothing really happens in any of these subplots of any substance politically, or even plot-wise, really, there is... uh, where they're all just kind of boxes that have to get checked off of, like, oh, right, there has to be some White House stuff that happens, right? And the the uh, the temporality of the episode is again one of these things that's experienced partially in flashback and partially yeah it's kind in, of pulp fictiony yeah you know like they, you know part Goodwill Hunting part pulp fiction which had also come out <laughs> a couple years back yeah so we we, um, we learn things in reverse at certain times yeah as nonlinear they, as they work through Josh's issues so that's Correct. why if it so seems like this episode yeah yeah go ahead. if it seems like we're being a yeah. little schizoid about this to yeah. borrow a word it's because nothing happens in order in this episode right so yeah so for right now we're just focusing on the therapist and josh conversation as that is like a good 50 percent of the episode runtime yeah uh and then we'll we'll break down into the more of the details in our next segment yeah uh but while we're still on this um i did want to say that you know so it comes out that josh you know the reason that they got this therapy is because josh uh snapped at the president and the way the therapist frames it conversation first before you actually see the part where josh snaps is kind of weird because he's like did you raise your voice at the president and josh is like no no one ever raises their voice at the president i'm like what the fuck are you talking about leo <laughs> yells at him every other day his wife yells at him all the fucking time <laughs> yeah like everyone raises their voice <laughs> to the president uh, but it turns out what josh has done has gone quite a few levels beyond simply raising his voice uh and then once we actually see the scene i think Again, Bradley Whitford does some really good acting here where he shows, like, what it feels like to go through, like, a legit breakdown in the moment where he gets hyper-focused about this one issue that doesn't matter at all. And the Bartlett's just being like, yeah, whatever, it's fine, we'll take care of it. And he's like, it's not fine! And his, like, neck vein is pulsing and he's, like, pounding his chest like Matthew McConaughey in The Wolf of Wall Street. And it's, it's, like... It's a good, like, theatrical meltdown scene. Yeah, and they do a very good job of being, like, this is this leads directly into the president being, like, something's clearly fucked up. Right, like, <laughs> everyone, yeah, both the president and Leo and Sam is there as well, and they all just kind of, like, look at each other, like, okay, we all acknowledge that this <laughs> is, like, super fucked up now, right? <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they kind of go around in a circle, and it's like, yeah, you scared? Yeah, I'm scared, too. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like they're they're five seconds away from calling the secret service in <laughs> to have him pulled out of the room and you know they they send him off and then it's the the christmas concert at the white right. house or whatever yo yo ma yo yo ma 
the, the guy who, who who took off not only because of his musical aptitude but also just because his name is so fun to <laughs> say Yo-Yo Ma. he was in the news the other day he was uh playing his cello at the border for peace or or something hey like, good for him good good for him i hope um i hope all the all the fash police down there enjoyed a good concerto <laughs> yikes uh but yeah, so Yo-Yo Ma's playing a Christmas concert at the White House, uh, and also, and then at this concert, Josh has uh, essentially a, a PTSD flashback, rea- tri- you know, triggered reaction, uh, because as we find out as at the conclusion of this therapist uh, framing device, music can be one of the triggers for someone who's involved in a gunshot. Uh, incident. Um, speaking as someone who's never actually been involved in a gunshot in- incident, I was triggered by this because Yo-Yo Ma fucking plays box cello suite number one in G first movement, which is the only fucking cello piece that anybody knows. And it's not <laughs> even the best movement. I'm a classical music fan. Call me President Dad. So both, both Stu and Josh were having <laughs> intense uh, flashback moments and then got very sweaty and had to leave. Uh <laughs> <laughs> uh, and had to leave, uh, which, which you know, Leo notices uh, in the moment when it happens, and then toward the end of the episode, Leo and Josh have a very iconic moment um, that's famous amongst West Wing fans, which is the man, you know, the man in the hole speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not even gonna bother with the clip because <laughs> you probably you've probably all heard it already a dozen times uh, if you're listening to this. Uh, and we have such better clips to show you once we get past this bit. <laughs> so, uh, particularly involving one delightfully new introduced character. <laughs> and basically, Josh goes, he goes home, right? And uh, yeah. yeah, and like, and right after the right after the Christmas he concert, gets yes. triggered by after the freak out at the Christmas yeah, mm-hmm. concert, he goes home and he punches through a window. But he spends all this time um, deflecting in his therapy sessions and denying and it, denying yeah. it, claiming that he like. He broke a glass or was pouring right. a drink and fucked it up. And it turns out that it basically he just, he was, he was freaking out and he punched through a window, you know, as, as either a defense mechanism or something. Um, and cause to hand. like make the, the panic stop and this is, essentially. Yeah. And this is supposed to be like a big reveal here. And you said the same thing here. It's like, this is uh, Okay. It, right. it just seems very they emphasize the lead up to him being like i broke a window as almost as important as being like josh is suffering from ptsd <laughs> it's like right okay. yeah like they're treating yeah they're treating well i guess i guess he's more concerned about the fact that he feels like he has to lie about the hand mm-hmm. like it shouldn't be that controversial thing to lie about of like look okay i had a freak out i went home i was freaking out so much that i just i punched the window and i hurt my hand yeah. you know like, it shouldn't take that much, but Josh is just deflecting and denying over and over and over every time Stanley tries to ask him about it. Um, and so, and it, again, it just comes back to this, like, defensiveness he has about just the entire therapeutic process. You know, he doesn't see it as something that will ultimately help him. He views it as something that is here to, like, get in his way. Yeah, and something to suffer through, in addition to right. what I'm sure is already feeling pretty shitty all the time. right. Yeah, and so it wraps up with them basically with Stanley basically being like, "That's time." Uh, yeah, <laughs> like right when they get to the crux of you know the issue. Yeah, it's like, well, 
our hour's up and this is i mean apparently this is like a like a legitimate thing it's very much it's um it's a stereotype in tv and and on film where people like that that's the reaction it's like oh well time to go look at your watch and like push the person out the door but there's a scene where it's like you mentioned here it's they're talking about um i can't was it stanley or leo who says because we get better stanley does yeah so uh so okay so what happens here and this kind of ticked me off and put like kind of a bad taste on the whole thing because overall it's not bad there's good acting like it's not that controversial a a, a thing you know it might be a little heavy-handed the way they do it but then at the end so josh asks after he finds out that the music at the concert is what triggered him he's like am i ever going to be able to listen to music again without getting triggered and stanley's like sure sure you will and goes how come and stanley's like because we get better and it's like well that's kind of oversimplifying things, isn't it? And it's... That, like, I get you're do? trying to be positive. Yes, yes, but... absolutely. And then the, it's like, do we? <laughs> yeah, like... I know the goal you, you can, is to. That's the goal, but like, I don't think you should just frame it that way of, oh, don't worry, you'll be fine. And like, this is sort of... I, I drew a little bit of a parallel between this and Leo's alcoholism, where... Mm-hmm. Frankly, I think the alcoholism thing is treated much more, much more um, fairly and legitimately. With more gravity. Exactly. Yes. That's what I'm looking for. Yes. And it seems like this whole thing about Josh, it just seems very flippant. Leo's like, oh, hey, you'll be fine. Because, you know, I got you, I'm your friend in a hole, right? Right. And Stanley's like, hey, you'll be fine. Like, just come and talk to me for an hour. And yeah. to be to be perfectly fair to the show, it closes, it goes out on a on a anxious note it is just it's a it's a slow zoom in on josh's face and he's clearly not okay right it's not yeah it's not a happy note and they you know stanley does mention of course he will need further therapy it's not it's not he's not just writing him off as oh you're fine but you know i it's still just kind of like at the core of what our our problem is with the west wing is that like in in a material good sense all these people are rich and have power and we'll ultimately all be fine because, you know, nothing that bad can truly happen to them. Or, you know, it did and Josh has already gone through it and now, <laughs> and now it probably be, will never happen again. Yeah. You know, like, I don't think he'll ever get shot again. Odd, odds are pretty low on that. Yeah, and as someone who has never, you know, Knockwood, suffered from PTSD or a mental illness, frankly, of any kind, it's, you know, it's... <sighs> It feels like the take is somewhat, um, again, I think I said flippant is yeah. what it is. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Like they treat, they treat it like a cold. Yeah. Like, you know, he's gonna, you know, oh, you've got some PTSD. You need to go home for a week or two so you don't spread it around the office. <laughs> uh, and then you can come back. Yeah. Uh, and it's just kind of, it's an oversimplification of it. And I think part of that is due to the time capsule nature of it. And then part of it is just kind of tr- trying to fit the lowest common denominator of the network TV watcher. Uh, and I think that's true too. Like the format restricts the treatment of it because it's like, yeah, you can't dive too yeah. deep into it. And they anything. are, I mean, they do make a legitimate uh, effort here to make this a character piece about Josh and, you know, develop Absolutely. some more of his, uh, you know, his interactions Back with the story. world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but stuff like that. It, uh, yeah, it just falls a little flat because it seems so. It seems so glossy. Yeah, yeah. I remembered this episode being a lot better the first time I watched it, and then this time around, I just didn't. And I know part of it is because we're looking at it more critically, just because of the nature of this podcast. But I feel like we've been pretty fair about 
when episodes actually have been good, and that we get, we're pretty good about giving credit where credit's due. Uh, despite the entire purpose of the show being <laughs> ostensibly to rip rip apart every single episode, uh, which we of course fully intend on keeping to that mission statement. Yeah. Um, but this was so yeah this this is like a top ten episode on every like best of the West Wing list you'll find out there. That's what amazes you know, I'm sure me, Noel right? is. Yeah. I'm sure this in Excelsius Deo, two cathedrals. You know, like those are all fucking guaranteed top fives. I feel like on, on all these lists. Yeah, and it it I do. <laughs> why why this one i mm-hmm. i get it i get to because cathedrals. it's the christmas one and because josh is essentially our main character and it's such a character piece i guess but but nothing happens like it's <laughs> and that's what and that's what listeners were about to get into into our next segment <laughs> yeah. which is the rest of the, the, rest episode, of the episode where in which literally nothing, nothing happens, happens. <laughs> all right let's take a break Okay, and welcome back. Uh, so, now, uh, on to the rest of the episode that takes place outside of the framing device, uh, whether in flashback or in real time. Kind of immaterial, as, as we mentioned, nothing really of consequence happens at all. So, our first m- subplot is this pilot uh, that has apparently gone asleep at the wheel um, and is, like, off course. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a U.S. jet fighter pilot. Uh, and they they go down to the sit room with the president Leo, and they have to f- determine uh, if they're going to shoot this guy down or if they're going to try to like you know establish if he's alive, that kind of thing. Yeah, and it's it kind of comes up out of nowhere, and there's there's just, they suspect that he could be going AWOL. Right, and like he he's he's suffering a mental breakdown or something, which is the parallel with Josh, essentially. Yeah, but they also don't know if he's intending to def- like fly his jet somewhere and defect. Yeah, Bartlett tosses out a bunch of hypothetical yeah. scenarios that they can't confirm, essentially. So, uh, and they, yeah, go no, ahead. I was gonna say they they talk about each of these sort of in turn as we have a couple walk and talks, and then he he fucking pulls a McWatt and flies into a mountain. Uh, yeah. And just kills himself and takes the plane with him and doesn't hurt anyone, anyone thankfully. Yeah. And that, uh, besides himself. The, the kind of the, the culmination is apparently he leaves a note or sends a message that says it's not the plane. As in like the plane the, isn't yeah, broken. There's no mechanical, yeah. there's no mechanical issue causing this. I'm, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, or at least he thought that. And, uh, so yeah, yeah. very sad. <laughs> well, sad news. We, we don't have any con- connection to this character and it's just basically. Yeah. We don't see him. We don't uh, like, we yeah. learn his name, and, but that's, that's and it. Bartley gets we don't to, see the situation. Bartley gets to not bother to make the decision to shoot him down. Right. Yeah. Like he, he was going to have to make a kind of hard call on, Hey, do we actually take this guy out? If it looks like he might be going towards civilian population centers, yeah, or or be stealing our technology to give to the or that or yeah, to go to China or <laughs> to Russia give or to something. The perfidious yeah. Easterners. Yeah, we know <laughs> God knows. who are just coming off a long and hard winter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah. So that that kind of covers the plot, the pilot thing. That comes um, and goes. <laughs> Uh, and then, so the next thing is the the Christmas music itself in the lobby. Um, so the the idea is, and I guess Toby is the one who's coordinated this. I think. Yeah, and 
Um, it's it's almost distracting. Like they have several walk and talks. Yes, with, it's very with these ensembles just blasting Christmas music in the background very loudly. And look, I love Christmas music. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not particularly religious, but I think there's some good songs. Yeah, I think you know the good. Everyone has their favorite ones, and the good ones are good. There's a couple annoying ones, but overall, I'm a fan of Christmas music, even as a even as a Jew. Uh, I think we got robbed in the Hanukkah music department. <laughs> the only thing we have is really Adam Sandler's Hanukkah song, a... which I'm very great. I'm grateful for. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a nice song, uh, but that's literally all we have, uh, basically. Not a klezmer fan. <laughs> uh, or or dreidel dreidel dreidel. <laughs> the um and the other the other tie that they make to like ho 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 it's Christmas time is that the there's a brief comedy moment where. President Bartlett insists that he's going to sign all the Christmas cards that the White House sends <laughs> yes. out. And he figures out how uh, many there are, and it's like, you're sending 1,100,000 Christmas cards. <laughs> do, you, do you want the auto pen, or do you still want to do them <laughs> yeah. all yourself? <laughs> well, and I, was, I just made a note here that, like, we make a big fucking deal out of our Christmas cards. For some reason that I can't even remember, it was like 10 years ago, um, I just, just like, everybody loves getting mail like real mail. If it's not a bill, mm-hmm. it's fucking cool. Yeah, when you get that's mail. not a bill. It's a, it's incredible <laughs> nowadays. It's a fucking rarity. Yeah, so we make sure to send you know some real mail to our friends yeah. when we can. And Christmas cards, it's a great excuse just to be like, oh well, whatever. Here, you know, right. Get these off of um, you know the internet and send them along. So yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that, that's a funny little detail. Uh, so they, uh, yeah, at one point they have a brass quintet in the lobby. They've got bagpipe players in the lobby, which is always funny because bagpipes are inherently funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Ugh. and jo- Josh, by the way, is having none of it and is super pissed. And like, to be fair, on the one hand, it's supposed to be him freaking out because of the PTSD. But on the other hand, I can't fucking blame him. Bagpipes are fucking loud, man. Well, and also bagpipes are terrible to play a song like Greensleeves on because they only have one modality. God damn it. <laughs> so yeah there's it's uh, just this sort of interplay in behind the scenes of the christmas music constantly reminding us that hey guys it's the christmas episode right like really in your face nothing about this episode is subtle like let's make that perfectly clear <laughs> and so uh-huh. my, my favorite part of the episode and the least subtle part of the episode is the butler guy basically oh right <laughs> yeah so we need okay yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about Bernard Thatch, which is his <laughs> character's name, which I I think comes up in the episode. Uh, so uh, let let's intro this properly. With at the briefing, CJ gets a question about a White House tour guest who was freaking out on the tour when she saw a specific painting, uh, and CJ kind of brushes it off with a joke about like, oh well, we get you know five crazies a day, you know, or so, or something like that, and then the press just kind of laughs it off. But then she says uh, to Carol, like, hey, look into that, would you? Uh, and Carol gets in touch with Bernard here, who is, uh, we looked it up on the, on the West Wing wiki. Uh, his official title is Visitor's Office Staff. Uh, he's just a White House staffer. But he basically acts like a traditional British butler uh, in a very comical way. And we've got some clips here for you uh, with his interactions between him and CJ are are fantastic uh he's just super savage on her <laughs> and and in a in a refined very curated way <laughs> yeah it I lo- just play the clip <laughs> well okay thanks for stopping by cj your necklace is a monument to bourgeois taste thank you 
You're welcome. Bernard, listen, who is Gustav Caillou, and how long has this painting been hanging outside the Blue Room? Caillou was a contemporary of Courbet, who was considerably more gifted. This is a painting of the cliffs at Etretat, cleverly titled The Cliffs at Etretat. It is a minor work. What's it doing here? It was on loan from the Musée d'Orsay to the National Gallery, the president on a visit to the National Gallery, and possessing even less taste in fine art than you have in accessories, announced that he liked the painting. The French government offered it as gift to the White House, I suppose as retribution for Euro Disney, so here it hangs, like a gym sock on a shower rod. You're a snob. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's like just uh, just subtly owning CJ oh! over, over and over again while she tries to play it straight and ask him legitimate questions. Right. Yeah, and like she's charmed by it too. Yeah, That's the beautiful yeah. thing. Like she's she's not at all offended. She's just like, "You're a snob, aren't you?" And he's like, "Yes, I am." <laughs> well, when you put it that way. <laughs> so he's he's being a snobby awesome smugging it up like this is the West Wing cranked up to 11. <laughs> you know, this, like the smugness of the show. If you crank it all the way up, you generate this character. Yeah. And so the... Who is sure about everything. The, the reason that they're talking to him is because he knows the provenance of the painting that this He woman, knows the history of all the paintings, yeah, yes. Yeah, the, the painting this woman was freaking out about. And eventually, down the road, they mm-hmm. bring her back. And right. they do some investigating. Like... Yes, and uh, and they fi- they find out that uh, this painting was uh, her like uncle's or father's or some 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 relative of hers uh, was the actual artist behind it, uh, which is why she recognized it and started freaking out. Uh, and it was stolen from her family in World War II by the Nazis. <laughs> so maybe cool it with your fucking jokes at the press briefing, CJ. Yeah, seriously, this is a, a legitimate thing. And uh, there have been several, actually, so this is specifically based on the woman in gold, the Klimt portrait, um, and the Austrian woman who, like, chased it down. They made a movie about it with Ryan Reynolds in it. Um, there's another movie, a documentary about this phenomenon of Nazis um and the art world the intersection of the art world called the rape of europa which is mm-hmm. fucking fantastic you should go watch that mm-hmm. um and yeah so this is just like they took this story ripped it basically right out of the headlines um mm-hmm. and put it into the west wing yeah absolutely i have to fam- i have to assume someone on staff was familiar with the story uh, basically just ripped it off wholesale uh, you know, the great, the greatest writers steal outright, as they say. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of stealing outright, I was doing some research. Apparently, <laughs> apparently the fucking, um, the portrait of Adele Blockbauer, which is the famous paint, the Klimt painting that was stolen and mm-hmm. eventually got back, was then just like sold by this woman's estate when she died for $55 million. Holy shit. And yeah. Okay. Cha-ching, cha-ching. What the fuck? <laughs> and like, um, they go into it in the episode here. He's like, we uh, had yeah, it appraised. I was about to get into that. Yeah. 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 Okay. So this is the most neoliberal fucking take <laughs> on this whole goddamn situation. And it's so fucking West Wing to frame it this way where, where the Butler guy says like, uh, you know, when it was painted, the materials probably cost around three dollars uh but we have had it appraised and its value is currently four hundred thousand dollars and they are then they're just waiting for her to be like super impressed and like we could sell it for you and she's like no i'd rather keep it uh and then like well we could keep it hanging on the wall and then it would probably only increase in value (laughs) it's like dude do you not get it (laughs) not everything's about money she's literally sitting there staring at him being like uh nope 
still no, want it. No, this is like, this is a beloved family heirloom that I want to keep. I don't give a fuck about money. Yeah. And it's it's so West Wing to frame it that way. Yeah, and I mean I can see what they're like they're trying to do, being that it's like it's not just this old woman's sentimentality, you know. Right, it's it's, it's right. It's, it's, it's because it's valuable. Yeah. It makes it more but that's a fucking that's, that's a fucking the gross mentality. Yeah. Like yeah. It's just like it's admitting that everything just has a monetary value in life and the more the bigger the value, the cooler the thing. Yeah, absolutely. So that's fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. Get that little but, uh, but that's a fun little subplot. Um, and then, what else is there? Not a... Like, they talk about... I think... Being dressed for fancy parties or moments of sure, occasion. Um, Charlie wears, a like, a coat and tails. Yeah, they all get to get dressed up uh, for, the, for the concert. Um, Dang, man. Uh, gosh, there's there's way less than I thought. <laughs> I thought there was a lot more. Oh, there is a bit about um, selling off some of the strategic petroleum reserve. Right, okay. Yes, thank you. Uh, that's actually what triggers uh, the the meltdown um, in, in the... In the, in the Oval Office. That's what the conversation yeah. starts as in the Oval Office, yes. So, uh, yeah, feel free to expand. Oh, uh, basically they, they're, they're debating whether or not they should... could. Uh, sell off could some, dip into could it. dip into the strategic yeah. petroleum reserve too. I'm assuming like help cover a budget, cover something, deficit or something. I'm guessing, um, or or just that they're running low on oil uh, or something like that. Which again, this is just a very dated kind of thing now. Where now now the problem is not running out of oil. It's it's that we're pumping all turning all the oil into carbon and pumping it into the atmosphere. Yeah, and I mean we've. There have been political, there's been political hay made out of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve in the past. And so this is kind of just like, you know, this is actually a real thing, but it's mainly used as uh, a device to get Josh worked up to the point where, you know, he... Yeah, this is the thing that he flips out about when the president's like, oh, whatever, we'll just, you know, talk to this guy, we don't have to do it. And Josh is like, no, you do have to talk to the guy, (laughs) and, you know, doesn't, has his whole little thing. Um... But yeah, I guess that kind of that kind of wraps That's it up. About okay, it, let's man. take let's take another quick break, and then I have a special bonus segment uh, for all of our devoted listeners who make it this far into each episode. I'm excited. So welcome back. Now, since this episode barely had any actual politics in it, uh, I thought I thought personally that we needed to up the political quotient of this particular episode. And even though it is merely the middle of April 2019, uh, for anyone who's listening to this episode weeks or months into the future, uh, the primary season for 2020 is in full swing, uh, and we would like to talk about it here for a few minutes. It will be so, in full swing for the next goddamn ten months, and uh, forever. <laughs> yeah, I am wondering Buckle whether I will folks. survive. Bu- 
fucking buckle in, folks, because you know what? I'm here for it. I'm I'm fully online. I'm never logging off, and I and I'm here to proclaim right here and now that the Worst Wing, one of the most influential podcasts on the internet, is fully endorsing one Bernard Sanders for president. It's Bernie, bitch. Yay! He's gonna win, folks. He would have won. He is winning, and he will win. Um, uh, I like to do a little bit of a breakdown of the state of the race at the moment. Uh, so, in theory, Joe Biden is technically the front runner in terms of polling. Uh, however, he is not officially declared to be in the race yet, uh, and is possibly going to sit this out entirely. I don't know. Doubtful. He almost assuredly is, has a lot of pressure telling him to run, but I can also see maybe there being some pressure against him running. Uh, this is all going to be hypothetical theory crafting, by the way, obviously. Yeah, we, we don't have any particularly skillful. <laughs> I am not Nostradamus, uh, although if I get any pr- prediction correct, <laughs> I am fully going to smug it up uh, and go back to these episodes later and listen and laugh at my own predictions coming true. Um, so Joe Biden technically frontrunner despite not being in the race. However, actual frontrunner is Bernie, uh, who is leading in every poll where you drop Biden out or you assume that Biden drops out at some point, uh, like 30% of Biden's support goes instantly to Bernie just off name recognition alone because voters are fucking stupid. Um, but we'll take it. <laughs> and uh, because then at that point, he becomes the front runner effectively in the, in the media narrative. Uh, and speaking of media narratives, we are approximately, what, 48 hours, 72 hours out, uh, out from, from the... Yeah. Fucking epic, amazing. If you have not seen it, please go watch it. Bernie Fox News Town Hall, where, holy shit, he had a Fox News audience who may or may not have been filled with some Bernie bros. Some plants uh, <laughs> in there, you know, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Uh, but who cares, because here's what the media narrative is, is that he fucking won over the crowd, and he had them cheering uh, pro-abortion rights, he had them cheering for immigrant rights, he had them fucking raising their hands saying yes i would be perfectly happy getting kicked off my employer health care and going on a government-run medicare for all plan <laughs> also which fucking blew the hosts away the, the best part about that was that when the host i don't i think it was like brett bear or some other yes, fucking correct. chud like he he asked the question how many of you have employer provided health insurance and bernie raised his hand yes bernie is on stage with him but he was like yep, absolutely i do <laughs> yep and and then raised it again when he yep. asked, and would you be willing to switch to Medicare for all? Uh, as did pretty much the entire crowd who raised their hand the first time. Uh, and really, I think it, what it came down to is, I think a few plans being there was key, because just the crowd hearing some applause initially for Bernie kind of gave them like social permission to be like, you know what, I'm going to give this weird old socialist grandpa a chance here. Uh, you know, and not just write him off as, you know, an enemy of Fox News. Oh, yeah, because I'm not I'm not insulated and in being facilitated in my hatred by being surrounded right. by the monoculture. Right. If there was no audience there, this could this could have been a giant disaster. Yeah. You know, like they would have just chopped it up and edited it down and like just pulled all these gotcha questions on him and make him look like he was panicked. And but he handled all of it. Fucking sharp as attack. <laughs> Miss me with this. Who, he's too old shit. Get the fuck out of here. He is, he is goddamn, yeah, dude he's is, sharper than me. Yeah, and like, like, he is, he Jesus. is way on top of, 
of his game and he didn't lo- he didn't look tired at all throughout the whole thing it went like over an hour like he was just as powerful at the end as he was at the beginning he wasn't so even all of your goons, wet <laughs> all of you yeah he had not become yet wet bernie he was the smoothest of bernies <laughs> smoothest of burns. uh all of you goons who are sending him your energy you're doing a great job keep it up uh he's he is accepting your energy and fucking running with it uh so now the media narrative has totally become that like Bernie is the one who can take on Trump. Uh, fucking Peter Dow, of all people, has acknowledged <laughs> that Bernie will win and Bernie can beat Trump. Uh, it also fucking 2019 is a fucking hell of a year, folks. Yeah, there, and there's also been a bunch of other kind of deft uh, news cycle maneuvers because he yes, released let's his... Let's talk about the cap thing. He released his tax returns, but he also... Um, the New York Times came out with a piece basically insinuating that... Um, like, directly attacking and, and accusing Cap, Center for American Progress, near attendance outfit um, of... <laughs> of essentially playing favorites and um, attacking, constantly trying to tear down his right. candidacy specifically. Uh, and Think Progress had that shitty video criticizing him for being a millionaire because he sold a few books. Uh, if you haven't seen that tweet that's in the Bernie thread of him, of the guy who, the impersonator faking the tax pre- preparation process, go yeah. watch that. <laughs> uh, that's where That's a pro click right there. Uh, but yeah, they released this attack ad. It totally backfired. He got like a shitload of dislikes. It's the one comment section on YouTube I encourage you to read <laughs> because all the comments are just ripping this fucking ad apart from a pro-Bernie perspective. Uh, so it totally backfired. Uh, he, he fucking cucked Cap uh, where their their director had to go and like yell at Think Progress for releasing this negative attack ad. Uh, and be like, look, we're going to be fair to all the Democrats now because we have decorum. And, you know, it's um, just to on a on a bigger scale, a lot of these things for s- most people, I think that these barely things, register. Yeah. Well, for, for most people, they barely register. But I think also for political operatives, a lot of these things, it seems like if you are good at your job, these things seem accidental or seem right. like they are sort of just, it's just happening. That Bernie's lucky. But I, gar- I yeah. guarantee that all of these confluences of these events are part of a strategy mm-hmm. that is out there, which, again, Absolutely. as a political operator, the, he, he is also incredibly skillful. So, yes, he knows the game. Yeah. You know, he's been in the Senate so goddamn long. He knows, he knows how the game is played. And not only that, 2016 taught him so much. That, you know, he knows what mistakes he made last time. He knows that he didn't come out, like, wanting to win, treating it super seriously. He was just a message candidate the first time around. Like, this time, he came out winning. He's got the staff. He's got the volunteers. He's got the donations. <laughs> yep. Goons, if you are listening and you can donate or volunteer to Bernie, obviously we encourage you to do it. Um, and, yeah, I'm, like, just right now, as as the way the race is shaping up, I feel really good about his chances of winning the primary. And then if he wins the primary, I just don't see how he doesn't fucking smash the general, especially if the economy shits the bed any time before the election. Yeah, I mean, I'm not one to make predictions anymore yeah, because I, that uh, died in 2016. Know, yeah, we know the folly of that, but I, I just want to counter a little of the, the C-SPAM pessimism that I see so much out there. And I think... I think it's okay to be a little guardedly optimistic about 
about old Bernie's chances here. Yeah, and and hey, you know, um, frankly, for a decade now, people have made political cynicism like their their sword and shield, if you will, mm-hmm. by saying like by embracing just this constant draining negativity. Not only can you anticipate the worst outcome, which frankly, in a neoliberal end of history consensus hellhole is usually the right. best expectation. It's usually what's yeah. going to happen. <laughs> but at, at the same time, it is, it's incredibly, frankly, it's poisonous to good faith Always attempts assume. to do yeah. good stuff. And right. I am as cynical as they come, but it is yeah. super important to take moments of joy when they happen. Yeah. Absolutely. You have to, you know, the victories come so frequently for us on the left. Fucking embrace, embrace the ones we do get. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that's, that's my philosophy at its core. You know, you got to keep morale strong. This is a long and hard fight we have ahead of us. You know, it's going to last our entire lives and then some, you know, so enjoy the victories when they come. And that Fox News town hall, that was a fucking victory for me. It Bernie. was, yeah, it was, it was truly spectacular. I don't, uh, again, I if anything. you haven't watched it, yeah. oh my God, go up. There's a Twitch link floating out in the threads. Or I'll post it in the show it. notes. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's it's on Twitch. It's on VOD. You don't have to give Fox News any fucking ratings. <laughs> so don't worry about that. Uh, it's it's incredible if you haven't seen it uh, or even just watch the clips that are floating around on twitter about like the medicare for all sound bites or 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 stuff like that uh the way he plays the crowd is amazing and i can just picture him doing that at the dem debates too to to thunderous applause while while 17 other centrists tried to talk about tax credit savings accounts uh to the sound of fucking crickets (laughs) absolutely so that that has been our election update uh, I went way longer than anticipated, but I had a lot of thoughts. Uh, I don't know if this is going to be a recurring weekly segment necessarily, but we will check in from time to time uh, with further election news should we feel uh, that it warrants it. Yeah, I uh, think um, part of the part of the advantage of being kind of tied into the C-SPAM uh, ecosystem is that we actually do get a heads up of some very obscure junk that is actually super interesting occasionally yes yeah so happy to disseminate that um on this platform yeah we can do a dive into each of the candidates and why they're shitty each of the (laughs) non-bernies each of the the flavors of the month uh you know i'll send this message out here too don't panic about the flavors of the month so early like you know everyone's panicking about fucking Buttigieg right now but uh but relax, like he's, you know, we were freaking about about Beto six weeks ago, and now that's all been memory hold because he he fucking went and stood on things so much that he got made fun <laughs> of, and now he's pulling at like four percent or something. So yep. like, relax. There's gonna be lots of fluctuation throughout this thing. The fucking first actual primaries and caucuses are what ten March. months out? You said yeah. March, yeah, eleven like eleven months, ten months away. There's going to be so much fluctuation. If if Biden enters, it's going to throw everything out of whack for like at least a month and a half. So just strap in, folks. It's going to be a long one, uh, but we'll we'll be here to guide you through throughout that process. <laughs> also, also go out and organize in your goddamn community. Absolutely, join, join a socialist um, group. Join the SRA yeah, if you like. Get involved. Guns. Uh, join or, anything. Or, yeah, get involved in Bernie's campaign if you want. I'm I'm joining uh, up with a local launch kickoff party uh, in my area, and I'm very excited to uh, to go see what I can do. Um, 
so yeah, go 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 get active because that's the best that's the best thing you can do is actually get off. I know I know we just, I'm never gonna log off, but actually get offline for a while <laughs> and go organize in the in the real world. Um, so that that wraps up this episode of the Worst Wing. Uh, our next episode is going to be episode 11, the Leadership Breakfast, um, which is a pancake breakfast between the, both the Democrats and the Republican Ooh, members of Congress. Bipartisan. So, so we get some real bipartisan decorum. Uh, <laughs> we're going to get uh, way more into the politics of the next episode because it actually has some to talk about, uh, including the Patients' Bill of Rights mm. and a minimum wage increase. Mm. Um, so those are both really nice, meaty topics that we can definitely dig into. Because uh, unfortunately, as I said, this episode really didn't have any politics to dig into for us. Yep. Uh, so yeah, thank you again for listening. Uh, as always, we appreciate any comments, uh, suggestions, questions in the thread. If you'd like to guest star, shoot us a comment or a post or a PM. Uh, if you have no idea what the fuck a thread is, then you found us some other way, and you could shoot us an email at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. <laughs> nice. And, uh, and we will see you next week uh, for another fun episode of The Worst Wing. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. But don't ask me to come on over.